Psalm 22, please, this morning. Psalm 22. Gracious Father, we thank you today that we can come together in this place and sing praises to your name, to remember the Lord's death till he comes, and to give thanks for our Saviour. Lord, this morning as we take this time to open up your word, may our hearts be blessed by it, encouraged by it, and Father God, may we learn from it. Pray that, Father, as we come around this table of remembrance this morning, that we would indeed be stirred in our heart to come to it uh, soberly with thanksgiving, that you might receive all the praise and all the glory. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, from on high, as I open up your word, that I might speak it with power, I might speak it to your glory, and that you might be honored and you might be praised as we spend time in your word this morning. Bless those in children's church as well, we pray. And guide now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Should have mentioned two girls away today. She's in Sydney. She finally got there. So uh, pray for her while uh, she's away. Now, Psalm 22 is one of the greatest messianic psalms in the Psalms. And in this psalm, we see a prophetic declaration of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Someone tried to rob this psalm of its prophetic character. Some say that is only an expression of some kind of suffering of David. But of that we would say that these sufferings cannot be David's. For instance, who pierced his hands and his feet, and who parted his garment and cast loss upon his vestures? Verse 18 tells us, they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. There's no way that this psalm is talking especially about the suffering of David. I do think that some of this has an element of David's suffering, but this is a prophetic psalm looking towards Christ, the Messiah, and his sufferings. Here we have for us the Holy Spirit testifying beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. And as we come around the Lord's table today, I want you to note with me the sufferings, uh, or rather his sufferings upon the cross in verses twenty. 1 to 21, and we're just going to take this first half of the psalm, basically, and have a look at some highlights along the way. I want you to see, first of all, this morning, he was deserted in verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Jesus cried these words at the ninth hour on the cross. At the close of the three-hour period of darkness, he cried out, God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When you and I contemplate those words, when you and I think about those words, that the Son of God should be forsaken by his Father is mysterious and awful as we contemplate Christ dying upon the cross of Calvary. You know, we're not surprised when we read in the New Testament that the disciples fled from his presence. We're not just surprised when we see they forsake him, but they were human. And they were simple men. 
But when you and I read in the New Testament, the Christ from the cross cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That even now, in the darkest hour, his father would forsake, forsake him. You and I ought to be taken aback by that phrase. Because the forsaking of the son means that the judgment of God has fallen upon him. The judgment of sin has fallen upon him. As he becomes sin for us, who knew no sin, he dies on the cross of Calvary and the Father cannot look upon the Son in that moment for the Son becomes sin for us. The iniquities of us all were laid upon him and the Father could not look upon him. He was forsaken of God because he was made a curse for us so that we might be saved. Verses 3 through 5 of this passage help you and I understand a small part of what was involved in being forsaken, why God forsook the Son. Verse 3 we read, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. One of the factors why the Father could not look upon the Son when the Son took upon him the iniquity of us all is because of his holiness. God is a holy God. When Jesus Christ became a curse for us, as Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has, made, uh, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for his written curses is every one that hang on the tree. And when Jesus Christ was made sin for us, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. The Father for that instance, because God is holy, could not look. Upon the Son, he turned, as it were, his back upon the Son. The Holy God had to forsake the Son in order to reconcile sinners like us. Another factor is the glory of God. For out of darkness, this darkness of the cross, this darkness uh, that was on the earth for three hours, this time of darkness in relation between the Father and the Son, out of that darkness, the darkness of Calvary gained glory. To the Father, the glory of the resurrection, the glory of salvation. The third factor, we get a glimpse of his sufferings. Helps us try to understand a little bit of what's going on in Calvary. Look in verse 4. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and they did, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered, they trusted in thee and were not confounded, but I am a worm. No man, a reproach of men, despised of people. In his anguish upon the cross, Jesus Christ remembers, according to Psalm 22, remembers that God the Father has always been faithful to his people. That God the Father has always maintained his covenant. God the Father has always kept his promises. But Christ is now forsaken and the reason why Christ is forsaken of the Father on the cross is because God needs to keep his promises made to sinners like you and to me. See, the Father made a promise way back in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis chapter 3, that God would send someone, a son of the seed of the woman, who would come and would bruise the heel of Satan. Uh, sorry, would, uh, the Satan would bruise his heel and he would crush the head of Satan. And when the victory for you and I, the, the day was coming when God would send a Savior 
for all the world. And there upon the cross of Calvary, as Jesus Christ is dying, the God of glory, this holy God turns his back upon the Son so that he might indeed keep his promises to you and to me. That some might die, that we might be saved. He could have called 10,000 angels. God the Father could have sent an angelic host to deliver him from Calvary. But he didn't because God made a promise to mankind that one day Christ would come and die you and for me so he suffered alone for our salvation and that ought to cause you and I to praise him this morning for his sacrifice secondly he was reproached he was deserted reproached it says in verse 6 and 7 we read this but I'm a worm and no man a reproach of men despised of the people all they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot at the lip, they shake the head, saying. He was a reproach of men and despised of people. You know, though God hid his face from him, there was no reproach for him from the Father. The Father didn't reproach him, the Father didn't despise him. The Father turned his back upon him, the Father forsook him because he hated the sin. Jesus Christ was becoming sin for you and I, the iniquity of the world was laid upon him. But Father didn't despise the Son. He still loved the Son. The reproach and the scorn of Calvary came from wicked men. The very people for whom he was dying, the very people for whom the Father has turned his back upon the Son, the very people that Christ is dying for are now despising him and mocking him and sneering at him as he dies on the cross for them. You know, our Lord was not treated like a human being. Verse 6 says, but I am a worm and a no man. Treated like a worm. As far as the nation was concerned, he was a no man. This Spurgeon says, this verse is a miracle in language. How could the Lord of glory be brought to such abasement as to be not only lower than the angels, but even lower than men? What a contrast between I am and I am a worm. rejected him socially they rejected him as a person they called him a drunken or a friend of sinners in Matthew eleven nineteen, it says the son of man came eating and drinking and they say behold a man gluttonous and a wine bibber a friend of publicans and sinners he was denied all his legal rights at trial he was arrested illegally he was tried illegally and he was found guilty illegally because as Pilate declared, I find no fault in this man. He had no case to answer. <coughs> he, was grant, he was not granted a fair trial. He was treated brutally, subjected him to all kinds of humiliation and ridicule and physical pain. And when he was suffering on the cross, they ridiculed him even more, as verse 7 says. It says, and they... All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head. They shoot out the lip or open with the lip. One commentator described this phrase this way. They put out their lips or gaped upon him with their mouths in a way of sport 
and pastime made wide mouths and drew out their tongues. In other words, they stuck their fingers in their mouths, opened their mouth as wide as they could, and stuck their tongues out at them. They were ridiculing him. They were mocking him. They poked fun at him with their mouths, and they shook their heads. That's what it says in verse 7. They shake their head. They just stood there shaking their heads. They made fun of him. He was dying for them. He was enduring the suffering of the cross for them and for us. This reproach was about us, about our iniquity. Because he loved us. But they despised him. Thirdly, they derided him. Look at verse 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. For thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. They derided him. They mocked him. They mocked his faith. It's been a vain thing, verse 8, they said. He trusted the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. They laughed at him because of the failure of God to deliver him. They laughed at him as his failure to come down from the cross as some weakness, as evidence of failure. You know, the false logic is expressed here in verse 8 because what they're saying is if you live by faith, then God must always deliver you from trouble. But God doesn't always deliver us from trouble just because we have faith in God. And in the case of the Son of God, God didn't deliver him from trouble because God didn't want to deliver him for he had a greater deliverance in mind you know Jesus Christ did not have to stay upon the cross think about it when they came to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane and they came and he said whom seek ye and they said we seek Jesus of Nazareth he said I am he and as he spoke they fell backwards as dead men he didn't have to go to Calvary he didn't have to endure the mocking in Pilate's judgment hall. He didn't have to endure the mocking in Herod's judgment hall. He didn't have to endure the pain and the suffering of the scourging. He could have quite easily overthrown every one of them with the word of his mouth. He had raised the dead. He had healed the sick. He had calmed the storm. He would fed the 5,000. Here was a man of miracles, of the almighty God, the all-powerful God. He did not have to endure it, but he did. as he hung upon the cross of Calvary and they're making fun of him, he could quite easily have come down from the cross and proved them wrong. But he did not because the Father and the Son had a greater deliverance in mind. And that was my deliverance and yours from sin and hell and judgment to come. And so he endured the, 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 the deriding on the cross 
and the despising upon the cross for you and for me. You know, the Father still loved the Son. But the suffering was necessary for the Son to secure redemption for mankind. God's failure to deliver Jesus Christ on the cross did not make Christ in vain any more than it meant that the Father didn't love him. Verses 9 through 13, Christ explains, even in the midst of the suffering, he knew he could trust his Father. He says, but thou art he took me out of the womb. That is, make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bells of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lion. He says even in the midst of this, he trusted the Father. He may be forsaken, but he certainly wasn't forgotten. The father loved the son, and the son was, love, was obeying the father and dying upon the cross of Calvary for us. One commentator said this, the forsaken one did not say, since I feel abandoned by God, I'll abandon him. He remained steadfast through the dark night of the soul still made appeal to God who cared for him since birth. But for a time, he was forsaken. But for a time, he was derided. For he loved us and died for us. Let's praise his name. He was emptied. He was emptied in verse 14. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted, melted in the midst of my bowels. Rather. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. He said in another place. Here he says, I'm poured out like water, and my joints are out of uh, and my bones are out of joints. That's complete. Debility is here portrayed. Jesus likens himself here to a broken piece of, of earthenware or an earthen pot baked in a fire till the last particle of moisture has been driven out of that very object. He says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted in the midst of my bowels. They had a high degree of fever. It was burning him. He was afflicted in his body for you and for me as he hung upon the cross of Calvary. All his strength was dried up in tremendous flames, one commentator said. Of avenging justice, all his strength was dried up in tremendous flames of avenging justice, even as the paschal lamb was roasted in the fire. He goes on, he says, My tongue claved to my jaws. My bones were out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaver to my jaws. 
first and fever fastened his tongue to his roof of his mouth. Dryness and horrible clamminess tormented his mouth so that he could scarcely speak. Victims of crucifixion suffered an anguish of, uh, of thirst that they could not have quenched. And the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary cried out, I thirst. He who gives the waters of life so freely to all who will believe is thirsty while making salvation possible so that you and I can drink of the everlasting waters, that you and I can drink of the well that never runs dry. The Savior's mouth was dry. On the cross, he cried out, I thirst. Thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth, he says in verse 15. So tormented in every single part. He feels like his body is decaying, being returned to the dust of the earth. One commentator describes as he feels as though the atoms of his body were being dissolved. And each atom was full of misery. They say of crucifixion that when a man was dying of crucifixion, that every part of his body, every cell seemed to ache as it burned with intensive fever and as the pain would rack his body it was a cruel way to die and Jesus Christ is upon the cross and every part of his body is suffering for you and for me the full price of redemption was paid and no part of the Savior's body was spared no part of the Savior's body escaped from the agony that he endured for you for me, the Lord of glory stoops to the dust of the earth to save sinners like you and me as he hangs upon the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death for you and for me. Sixthly, he was pierced, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet, they nailed him to a cross. They crucified the Lord of glory. Our Lord today in glory still bears the marks of that crucifixion. And when he comes again and meets you and I in the clouds on the day of the rapture, you and I will be able to look upon him whom they pierced and we'll see the nails prints in his hands and we'll know that our Savior glorious day it will be when we look upon our Lord we see the scars in his hands and we know that it was for you and for me that he suffered upon Calvary what a day it will be when the Lord himself takes this table of remembrance and takes the bread and he breaks and says take eat this is my body which is broken for you and takes the cup and says drink this is the cup of the New Testament my blood drink ye in remembrance of me. You and I will be there watching him with those nail prints in his hands he gives of this table of remembrance to you and I for we promise that we shall drink this again anew with him in his kingdom. He was nailed to the cross. He was pierced. We might be saved. And lastly, he was shamed. Look at verse 17. I tell all my bones they look and stare upon me they part my, part my garments among them and they cast lots upon my vesture for be not thou far from me O Lord O my strength 
haste thou to help. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. The death of the cross was the most painful and the most shameful of all deaths. You see, not only did the Romans enhance the method of crucifixion the Assyrians had invented, but they also sought to shame those hanging upon the cross. They publicly exposed them before all that went by. In verse 17, he says, I tell my bones, they look and they stare upon me. There was nothing left to the imagination when you looked at a man hanging upon the cross. He was naked as the day he was born for all to see. They could tell all his bones. They could stare upon him and they did. There was no shame. He was crucified at busy crossroads just outside Jerusalem. And as the crowd passed by, they saw the inscription upon the cross. This is the Son of God. And they mocked him. Even the few earthly possessions that Jesus had were parted among the soldiers. Verse 18, they parted my garments among them and cast lots from my vesture. He was poor while here on earth. But the spiritual riches that we have because of Calvary are far too great to number. Beloved, he suffered all this for you and for me. He endured Calvary for you and for me. He endured the deriding. He endured the pain. He endured the shame. He endured the ridicule. He endured the piercing. He endured the mocking. He endured it all for you. Peter 18 says he suffered for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. In verses 19 to 21, the Lord prays for the resurrection, not deliverance from death, because he came to die. But he says this, but be thou, be not thou far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thou to me to help me. Deliver my soul from the Lord, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me. From the horns of the unicorns. And the Lord hears this prayer and answers this prayer and prays the Lord three days later. He rose from the dead. Beloved, we serve a risen Savior. He died upon Calvary. He suffered the anguish of the cross for you and for me. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteous of God in him. But glory is this, that Jesus Christ did not stay in the tomb. We do not serve a dead leader. We serve a risen Savior, victorious in glory today. He rose again. The anguish of the cross followed by the joy of the resurrection. God answers prayer and the sun arose. We meditate upon these first 21 verses. We cannot help but be amazed that the Son of God would endure all of this for us. Undeserving, wretched sinners 
who deserve eternally separated from God, eternally in the lake of fire. You and I deserve the punishments of the iniquity of our sin. But Jesus Christ, to it all, upon him the Lord laid the iniquity of us all, that you and I, by his death, might be saved. Songwriter in response to this act of love, Said, love amazing, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Beloved, as we come around this table of remembrance this morning, let's think of that love so amazing, that love so divine, which demands my soul, my life, my all, as you and I meditate upon the cross. And we think about what Christ did for us upon Calvary. I trust we'll come to this table this morning with thanksgiving. And we'll just simply say, Hallelujah. What a song. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for this Psalm 22 and the description of the crucifixion father we thank you that your son endured it all because he loved us lord as we come to this table this morning may we indeed rejoice in our savior your glory as we ask in jesus name amen pastor kendall's going to come